All right. Well, I want to extend my welcome to you. It's a pleasure to worship with you all this morning, and we are so glad that you're gonna you're here. I'm excited for our time together as we look at Scripture, and then also our time together as we seek to live out the Scriptures that we'll be reading today. Um, to help us to do that, I have a printout here. Uh, Dave told me when he saw me this morning, man, you got a lot of Bible to read today. Um, maybe you saw that in your bulletin. I want to point that out to you this morning. We're going to try and build a theme. Um, we're going to uh, look at the sweep of scriptures this morning and how actually uh, they can function like a hyperlink, you know, like when you're on your computer and you read something and then there's a hyperlink and that would take you to another place that helps you to learn more about that subject. Well, the Bible is a, is a, can work similarly in theme in that uh, there may be some seminal themes. We're going to read one from the book of Genesis that is going to actually uh, come up again and again uh, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Um, all the way to the epistles in Hebrews. And so uh, this will be a way for us to track how God uh, teaches us about how to be hospitable from the very beginning to today. And it will be a summation of our time in the Open Table series as we've been going through different stories that help us to understand God's hospitality and invitation for us to extend that hospitality to those around us, to our neighbors, and to, we'll find out today, to strangers. There are four words that if you so choose to join me, I want you to get a pen or there's usually a little dinky pencil. I love the old class. It's the only place where you really still use those old dinky pencils, isn't it? Here at church, they may be in front of you. If you brought a pen or a pencil, that's great. If not, you can just mark it in your mind. Four words that are going to come up in all of our uh, readings today from Scripture. The first is we're going to identify God. The second is that we're going to identify strangers. The third is that we're going to identify hospitality. And the fourth is that we're going to identify the message that is being brought forward. Okay, so God, strangers, hospitality, and message. If you want to, you can work ahead, but this one's going to start off real easy. Okay, so Genesis 18, 1 through, uh, verse 1 through 14 tells the story of Abraham. Begins with our first highlight. It says, the Lord. So there we see God at the beginning of the story. It says, the Lord appeared to Abraham near the trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance of his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. Now, in these uh, few uh, verses here, we discover one of the most interesting little pieces of subject of debate, which is, you saw, it says, the Lord appeared to Abraham, 
And then in the next verse, it says what? He saw three men standing nearby. And so the interpretation of these two verses has gone on for some time. Is this a, a pause? So Abraham saw the Lord and then pause. Now he sees three men standing nearby. Or are there, is the Lord these three men? This is further complicated by how the conversation goes back and forth between three people and one person, the Lord and three people. Because we, we jump in here, it says, he said, if I have fa found favor in your eyes, my Lord, talking to these three men, we assume, do not pass by your servant, but let a little, but let a little water be brought, and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. In this, we discover something called a mitzvot. Now, when we say law, the Hebrew word uh, is mitzvot. But when we think about law so frequently, when we think about the law, we think about the rules, the rights and wrongs. But yet in the Hebrew tradition, this word mitzvot also had the sense of doing good. A good deed is a mitzvot. And so what Abraham's doing for these three strangers that he's just discovered is he is doing a mitzvot. He's doing a good deed for them. He's inviting them into his home. Very well, they answer, do as you say. So we see the hospitality there, right? We've seen the Lord, we've seen the three strangers, we see the hospitality. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sayas of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. The best of the best. This is uh, something that would have represented a great deal of money to Abraham. He's giving his best to these strangers. He then brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While, he, while they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Where is your wife Sarah, they asked. There in the tent, he said. Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. So there's the message. The message here from these three, who are the Lord, who are these strangers who've been welcomed into Abraham's house, is what? This revelation that Sarah, even though she's old in age, will have a child, and that child will be the firstborn of a new nation, Israel, the fulfillment of a great promise in Scripture. And so this is a framework that is so important as we think about hospitality. Remember, I showed you the picture a, a couple of weeks ago, but I just wanted to go over this again because this, this story is so important for how we understand hospitality. It comes up in the New Testament. This comes up after Jesus has risen from the grave. 
in the story of the Emmaus Road in Luke 24, 13 through 35. So check this one out. We're looking for God, strangers, hospitality, and message. It says this, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus. These are two disciples. About seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. So there's God. Jesus himself is with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So there he is as the stranger. Jesus is there, but they didn't know it was Jesus. They just welcomed this person in that they viewed as a stranger that they did not know. Then Jesus asked them a question. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. This is Jesus asking some questions he already knows. The answer to, right? But it's generating this thinking, right? And so they pour their hearts out to Jesus without even knowing it. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. And so they explained to Jesus their experience of Jesus' death and where they're at in this moment of grief, of defeat, as they're walking outside of Jerusalem on this road, really not sure what's next. And then he said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all the things the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Let's just pause there for a moment and say, can you imagine what it would be like to have Jesus there with you walking on the road as he explains the prophets and Moses? He explaining how all the scripture is pointing to Jesus himself. This is the message, right? This is the message that they were explaining. Oh man, we hoped that Jesus would be the one who redeemed Israel. And so Jesus is just simply walking on the road with these two disciples, explaining what they missed, explaining how he is the true Messiah as a stranger, as somebody they, they don't recognize as Jesus. He's explaining to them the scriptures. What, what, I would have liked to have been there on that day, to be on that walk with Jesus. So we, we see here, 
the next move in the story. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly. So you see, Jesus was going to keep walking. But these two disciples, with force, they said, stay with us. So there's our hospitality in the story. For it is nearly evening, and the day is almost over, and so he went in to stay with them. So here these disciples offer hospitality to the stranger. And it says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And then it says what? Their eyes were opened. And they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he walked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. And so somehow, even though they couldn't recognize Jesus, when they look back, they could understand that their hearts were burning with passion. as he explained to them the scriptures. So what did they do? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together, saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So there is this realization of who Jesus is in this extension of hospitality to the stranger who is Jesus. So now our scripture reading for this morning has the context that it needs, right, about what Jesus is going to teach disciples as he's getting ready to leave what they are to do in order to continue to be with him and to continue this tradition of hospitality. And so hear these words from Matthew chapter 25. It says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all of the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on the right, just so we're clear, the king is God. Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, there's a stranger, and you invited me in, hospitality. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? 
When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? Then the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. So all of these people, all of these people in need of hospitality, um, in need of clothes and of attention, of care, of compassion, people that are just in need of relationship and community because they're foreigners in a foreign land and they need to be welcomed in. All of these people, these are the people that Jesus says, if you extend hospitality to them, that you will do it for him. Right? And the story continues. It says, Then he will say to those on the left, Depart from me. You who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Now that is a strong word. But I think when we think in the context of parable, we can understand the scriptures here that there's something that is lost, something significant that we miss when we don't invite the stranger in when we don't extend hospitality, we miss our ability to see and understand God in this way. One of the ways that God really wants to reveal himself to us. Hebrews 13.32 picks up on this as well. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing some people have shown hospitality to angels without even knowing it. Now, in Hebrews, we discover this is probably, this is most definitely an allusion to the story in Abraham going all the way back. And so the tradition carries on of what hospitality means. This is a, a place at the table where we get two things I want to focus on. The first is, a place of learning. Like we just said, at the table we learn. We have time. Hopefully our phones are not there. Hopefully uh, this is a time of conversation. This is a time of getting to know one another. This is a special place where there's something exchanged, where bodies are fed and nourished, but also that People are encountering one another and simply discovering one another, being curious about one another, giving each other attention and trying to learn and acknowledge the person in front of them may have something to teach and to share. This is one of the joys of being human, right? The exchange that we get to have together at the table to spend time with one another. It's a deep place of learning. We saw it all over these stories as, you know, 
They, they discovered revelations, right, that moved history forward, that marked history in such significant ways. Abraham, who's the father of uh, the nation of Israel, discovers that at the table. On the road to Emmaus, the disciples couldn't see the resurrected Jesus, but as they sat at that table and Jesus broke bread, all of a sudden, everything that was explained to them, they could now see was there amongst them, and they understood the resurrected Jesus and what it meant, and they turned all the way around and went back to Jerusalem with a new message. So the table is a place of learning. So when we go to the table to sit, we should come with that posture to learn from those who we sit with and enjoy. If it's our family, if it's uh, at a table of people we don't know yet. You know, we get this from such a young age. When my son had a new uh, student in his come into his class uh, at the beginning of the year, I said, Remy, it would be really nice of you to go and welcome that uh, student into the class, right? This is basic 101 type stuff. And yet it is never easy. It takes an extension from us, a sacrifice from us to say, I'm not just going to uh, stay with the people I know and the things that I'm comfortable with. I'm going to go out and I'm going to look for somebody who needs hospitality. And I'm going to sacrifice myself to bless them. And the, the second thing I think we can look at just briefly is that the table is a place of blessing. This isn't how I would think about the table, but it's something we see in all of these scriptures. And I, th I think one place we could point back to is in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8. Uh, there's a certain people that are set apart to minister to Jesus. Uh, and they're from the tribe of Levi, and they are set apart as the priests. Deut Deuteronomy 10.8 says this, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. And so this tribe of priests, their job was to minister unto the Lord, meaning that the Lord has given them their community and their blessing and their life. And this set-apart group, their job was then to return and uh, through sacrifices and prayer and worship to return that blessing back to God. But by the time of the New Testament, when we have this walking around God named Jesus, we see Throughout the scriptures, there's this new opportunity for people of all kinds, from all different kinds of backgrounds, to minister unto Jesus. Have you ever wondered why Jesus is always inviting himself over to somebody else's house? That's not how what we do. We don't go around inviting ourselves to other people's houses, right? That feels rude. And yet, we see, we saw in our story with Levi, right, as Jesus invited himself to Levi's house, that Levi saw this as a great blessing and honor to host Jesus, and it changed him, and he became a disciple. And we know the story of Zacchaeus, right, again, Jesus finds this tax collector, and he invites him 
himself to his house so that Zacchaeus can provide hospitality to Jesus, this really important person, this God on earth. You can think of Mary Magdalene who is without shame crying at Jesus' feet, providing this way in which her tears are washing his feet in hospitality. This comes to a unique place when Jesus is at a Pharisee's house. You see Jesus invited himself over to tax collectors' houses and over to Pharisees' houses. And then one day he's dining at this man named Simon's house, and Simon uh, is uh, observing that a woman has interrupted their meal, and he's the host, and he's having none of it. And, and this woman is just at Jesus' feet, and the Pharisees are not excited about it. And yet this is what Jesus says. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You didn't give me any water to wash my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You did not put olive oil on my head, but she poured this perfume on my feet. So I tell you this, her many sins have been forgiven. She has shown that she understands this by her great acts of love. But whoever has been forgiven only a little loves only a little. You see, Jesus is comparing the hospitality. He's saying, look at this woman. Look what she's done. She's ministering unto Jesus. And that is a blessing. And so when we think about Jesus' teaching in Matthew 25, how he says that as we care for what he calls the least of these, this is an invitation for us to show hospitality to the person in front of us who needs clothes or a visit or attention, but it is also a way for us to minister unto Jesus, who looks upon the world and sees the suffering of the world and has great grief and has sent his disciples into the world to help with that grief, to minister to Jesus. It is a ministry unto Jesus as we care for those who who need it most in our midst, as we learn to offer hospitality. Now, I've included a picture I want us to look at really quickly. This is a complicated thing for people in Los Angeles, is it not? It is on our ballots. Everyone has an opinion. Everybody, uh, as I drive my commute every morning, I have a conversation about somebody who was homeless with my children. This is a difficult conversation. It is extremely complicated. And one of the things that ends up happening as we live here is that it becomes really hard to always look at it, to understand what it means or what to do about it. I know I have experienced that myself personally. And yet there's a group of people that help me every Tuesday and Thursday to look again. Um, 
they are currently right now downstairs in our fellowship hall preparing a meal, doing what these scriptures say to do, something that they do every Tuesday and Thursday. They set tables. James Graflin sets up tables over and over and over for years and years and years. He set up tables for people who are going to come and eat on them. And then Linda, who currently right now is working with Isaac, who's a chef, in order to cook a meal, prepares and uh, works with a team of people to cook a meal together, a hot meal, a hot meal that is of high quality. Not only that, but also to go back to be sent off for people who need more food. And then Alan stands at the door and greets everybody and knows them by name and um, welcomes them in and pays attention to who's there and who's not there. Jim and Jane are in the back and they're organizing the clothes and putting all of the donations together. It's beautifully organized. Then people come up and they say their shoe size or the size of clothes they need, whatever they may need, and they're there to help assist them with the clothing that they would need. Michael is here. He gives countless hours. He now has 238 people that he helps with their mail that call St. Andrew's address their mailing address for the purpose of helping them get the essential identification that they need in order to help them on their way. Kathy Pinkerton has been spending her time meeting with people, praying with them. She has a few that, uh, people that have told her that they, they can't read that well. And so what she does is sit there and read the Bible to them so that they can hear the words of Scripture. Miriam, who never stops loving. People that can really make it hard sometimes but she just keeps loving. And so, um, over the last three years, we've been able to see 138 people that have come and been a part of that program find a home, um, that they've been able to make that journey. And so, in some ways, it's really hard, but in other ways, it's really not that hard. Because here it is, our opportunity to do a mitzvah, to just simply not go beyond, think we have to solve every problem, figure out all of the complexities that are related to what's going on with homelessness in our community, but simply to do what we can to extend hospitality, and in so doing, trust that we will find Jesus in our midst, and that Jesus will teach us all that we need to know about what it means to care for those who need it most. And so, I really want to encourage you today to not just take off, but to live this scripture to join us and go downstairs where you can share a meal with each other and with those from our program 
who are also invited as we share a meal together. What a great small opportunity for us as a church together to just live the scriptures. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you that uh, you have uh, taught us things that we would not naturally gravitate to. That you've taught us that we can love people that we don't know yet, that we don't fully understand, that uh, feel complicated, and yet, and yet there you are to love us, to forgive us, who sometimes don't even know why we do the things we do, who can be strangers unto our own selves, who feel lost and, and alone, and, and you are the one, Lord, who brings us back home. So help us to recognize how you have loved us so well so we can love those around us better. In your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.